Um, my, one of my best friends, as, as you heard, Fausto, he was the head elder of my church in El Centro. He was also the guy we sent out to do our dirty work, if such exists in a church. No jokes, dude. He, he was a guy that did everything that had to get done, and um, he, he would do whatever it took, along with his wife, who was the director of our children's ministry who's here, and who she still is the director of children's ministries in El Centro. And so together, they, they were a phenomenal team, of, and they just did whatever the church needed to be done, and they did it without complaining ever and without um, ever being asked to do it. So that's who they are. If, um, you know, encourage them. <laughs> Uh, I would love for them to be a part of our church here, just because aside from all of that, he is one of my best friends, and so I'm thankful that they're here with us this, this morning. Let's pray and let's jump into this. God, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to just gather with a group of our friends here this morning. We pray now that as we open up scriptures for just a few moments, um, that all of the stuff that's getting in the way of us being fully present here, um, that all of the stuff that's just taking our attention everywhere else but here, that you would calm those things down, and for just a few moments that you would open our minds and our hearts to what the scriptures have to say to us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This past Tuesday, as I was getting ready to leave the office here, um, it was about seven o'clock, and, and I began to see a bunch of cars driving in, and so I looked at my calendar, and I thought, what's going on at the church this week that I forgot that I'm not ready for? And there was nothing on my calendar. And so I went, and they, they obviously had keys to the, to the outside because they came in. And so I went out there to, I, I went out there to, um, to introduce myself because I thought, oh, maybe it's just a church member that I haven't met yet. Um, and it was when I was introduced to one of the ladies who's in charge of leading the AA group that meets in our patio once a month that I had no idea about. So I made my way out of there because it was an all-ladies group, and I didn't want to be the, you know, I didn't want to mess things up, so I left. But as I was driving home that evening, I began to think about AA and how it works. Now, I've never been to a meeting, but I've heard a lot about them. And basically, what, what do you do in an AA meeting? You stand up when it's your turn, and you say what? Hi, my name is, and I am a. And I began to think to myself, what if church was more like that? Maybe not, my name is David and I'm an alcoholic, maybe not like that, but what if church was a place where instead of having to cover up all of our addictions, all of our sins, all of the destructive tendencies, what if church was instead of covering all of those things up, what if it was a place where we could just be ourselves? Wouldn't that be an easier place to be? where you didn't have to always pretend about being somebody else so that people wouldn't judge you wrongly for who you actually are. And so instead of being the place here where we can be ourselves, I fear that over time what has happened is it's become the opposite where we have to cover our addictions, where we have to hide them because if we don't, then people will judge us and we may not have a place in a pew in here. Does that make sense? Are you following with what I'm saying? Church has become the opposite of what AA has become. Now, this is, you know, I'm just trying to get a point across, and you're going to see where I'm going. A week ago, we started, actually, Dave, where's Dave Calders? Dave, can you come up here real quick? I need, this is not a sermon illustration. There's something wrong with this, and I don't know how to, there's a button you have to push, Dave, come on. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, Okay. He'll work on that. He'll, he'll, he'll get that figured out. So 
A week ago, we started with the following verse. And this is what it says. Be especially careful. This is Jesus speaking. Be especially careful when you are trying to be good so you don't have to make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but God who made you won't be applauding. Jesus was telling the religious people, stop pretending to be good. Stop trying to be good. Stop trying to put on a show because the only person that matters, the only person's opinion who matters of you can see right through it. And so Jesus says, look, God's not going to be applauding just because you do good things and you make a big show out of it. But I think that the reason that we do good things all of the time is because if we're doing good things in public, people aren't going to ask us what we're doing in private. Does that make sense? If as long as we look good on the outside, nobody really knows what's going on on the inside. We're we're always trying to cover our deficiencies up. Now, I know that all of you are going to say no to the question I'm about to ask, but how many of you have ever said a lie? More than that, how many of you have lied, but in the process of telling the lie, like, you got caught? And and what do you do? You're like, oh, no, I, I know that's what I said, but what I meant to say was this. And what I meant by this is actually that. So you see, I wasn't really lying. I was just going a roundabout way to getting to what actually happened. We've all done that, right? Most of us have. I haven't. I don't lie. But the reality is, oh, that's a joke. But the reality is we've become so accustomed to covering things up that we no longer are ourselves at a time when God is simply calling you to be who you are. Now, I want to go through a biblical story, and we're going to jump into this. And, uh, oh, okay, oh, that was completely wrong. I want to go to a biblical story, and if you open up, don't open up your Bibles. In the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, there's a story of a man and a woman named Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, they did what they weren't supposed to, and they ate of a fruit that they weren't supposed to eat of because God said, don't eat of that fruit. And the story tells us that their eyes were opened and they realized that they were what? Naked, which was an old Hebrew way of saying that they realized that they were sinners and that they had something they needed to cover. And so what ends up happening is they sew fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. And when God comes along, he goes, how did you know you were naked? And what do they say? Well, you know, because we're naked. And God, what he ends up doing, instead of killing them off when he was supposed to, right? Doesn't the Bible say, if you eat of this fruit, then you will surely die? God could have ended it there, but instead of ending it there, what does God do? He makes better coverings for them. That is grace at the very beginning of the scriptures. Your nakedness, your sin the things that you're ashamed of. You try to cover them up all of the time, but instead of you covering them up all of the time, the Bible calls us to allow God to cover your sin and cover your nakedness. Because if you've ever covered things up, you know how tiring it is for you to always have to watch your, you know, kind of keep your tracks clean so that the people will not find out that you actually did this thing. Do you you hear what I'm saying? It becomes so difficult, and we do that with sin. It's like we know we're sinners, but then we try to do a lot of other good things so that God will see all of the good things that we're doing instead of that really bad thing that we did. But what we do 
what we're doing that is we're covering up the sin and the nakedness that is innate in us. And so there is a text in the scriptures. Dave, that's okay. You don't, I don't know if it's going to work. There's a scripture that says, My thoughts, not your thoughts, neither are my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So there's a way to live where you're always trying to cover up all of the failures and sins and all of the nakedness in your life. There's a way where you live where if I just keep doing good, then God will be okay with me. Or there is the biblical way where even though you're still a sinner and you're broken, God covers your shame. And he's not asking you to do it yourself. He says, the way I will do it is going to be better than the way you do it. And it leads us to the very verse. And it says, I will, re- I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall me with the garments of what? Salvation. And he has covered me with the robes of righteousness. God covers your shame. God covers your sin. But what ends up happening, I think, so many times is that you make yourself carry the guilt of what you've done in the past. There are times when other people will keep bringing up that thing that you did, and yet the Bible shows us a very clear picture that what you've done you can leave behind because God covers your shame. Grace isn't just that Jesus forgives your sins at the cross. It's that he had already forgiven and will continue to forgive your sins. That is the garment of salvation. So we continue. Where the, this is where the sermon actually begins today because the other stuff was some peripheral stuff that we had to deal with in order to be able to get to this. Matthew 6, 5 says this, And when you pray, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. But truly I say to you that they have received their reward. This is almost identical to the thing that we talked about two weeks ago where he says when you give to the poor, don't make a big deal. Remember, we made that illustration of dropping change into, into metal buckets. He says when you give, don't let everybody know. And so now Jesus says when you pray, do not pray as the hypocrites do because they stand at street corners and at the synagogues and they pray so that people will think that they are more holy than they actually are. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When we come to church, it's a very public way of doing faith. Do you know what I'm saying? When we come to church and pastor stands up here and he prays, and have you ever heard a pastor who prays very eloquent prayers? And at least when I was younger, I used to think to myself, man, that's just really, he must really be connected to God. When we come to church, we come dressed a certain way because that's how we should dress, right, when we come to the presence of God, except that God isn't just present here. God is present everywhere else, too. When we come to church, we, do, we practice our religion and our faith in a very public manner, and sometimes we get so caught up in how we do faith here that we forget that faith is really happening when we walk out of this room and we actually deal with real-life interactions at work, at school, or with our family. 
We have put so much emphasis on what happens here in this building that we sometimes forget that what we talk about in this building has to actually permeate into our lives when we're outside of this building the rest of the six days a week. Does that make sense? Jesus calls against us feeling more holy than we are just because we come to church once a week. He says that's not the right way to experience faith. Now, for those of us who... We try to cover up our own shame where we try to act like we're actually better than we are at home with our families, which I might be guilty of because my kids will say, they'll be talking to their friends and they'll be like, hey, your dad's a pastor. Wow, that's kind of weird, all of that aside. And then they say, but he's so different when he's up there. And I'm just like, I don't mean to be. Maybe I am more guilty of this than you are. That's not lost on me. But when we put on a show, when we come to church so that other people will think that we're holy, what does Jesus call us? What does he call us? Hypocrites. Now, he says, don't be a hypocrite and stand on a street corner. Why would you stand on a street corner and pray? Have you ever done that and prayed out loud at a street corner? Does anybody walk anywhere anymore? So there was this thing where the old people, not old people, but the Jewish people in the first century and before, they used to pray at set times of the day morning, afternoon, and night, what some people started to do is that if they knew that their prayer was at 12 in the afternoon, they would leave their house at 11.15 and go somewhere, and they would happen to be in public, so they would stop and they would recite their prayers out loud. They would put the thing on their head, their prayer shawl, they would put the thing around their arms that we showed pictures of two weeks ago. They would do that, they would stand in public, and then they would pray. And people, some people might look at them and say, wow, those people... That, that person is very holy because, look, he's praying in the middle of, like, rush hour. For those people, Jesus says, if you're putting on a show, I'm not applauding. And Jesus says their reward is simply what? Some people may think you're holy, but that's it. When you are doing things, see, okay, wait, let, let me say it this way. It's easier for us as humans to want to be validated by other people. Does that make sense? We care even if you say you don't, you care about what other people think of you. That's why you get up and you iron your clothes in the morning so that you're not wrinkled. That's why you comb your hair in the morning. That's why you brush your teeth. That's why some of you ladies, and this is not a sexist remark, put makeup on because you care about what people think. We care about what people think because it's immediate, right? If somebody doesn't like you, you know they don't like you, right? And so you don't, people don't like not being liked by other people. And so we live our lives in such a way that we let everybody's opinion about us shape who we are except the opinion that matters the most. Now, as much as I am deeply and madly in love with Kim and her opinion matters above all other human beings, always, If I'm only living to please her, but I'm not living to please God, I've missed the point. Now, if I live to please God, it would make sense that all of the other relationships we're a part of will benefit from that. Isn't that true? Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen, right? How many of you have ever known somebody? Man, I feel like I'm preaching to myself this morning. How many of you have ever known somebody 
who tries to be really religious. They talk about how they wake up every morning and they read their Bible and they, and they pray for an hour and, and they do this and they do all of these good things, but then they treat their family really badly. Have you met anybody like that? I once met a guy who judged me all of the time for not being Christian enough or Seventh-day Adventist enough as a pastor. I was a pastor, and this guy would just tell me everything that was wrong with everything that I did. It's not who you're thinking of, but everything that's wrong with me. And then I found out that he had been carrying on an affair for a year and wouldn't admit that it was wrong. I'm not judging him. I'm just saying that he knew the Bible better than I did, and he knew all of the Ellen White books better than I did. He was, he was in all intents and purposes, a better Seventh-day Adventist than I was. He followed all of the dietary laws. He, I mean, he was flawless, I thought, sarcastically speaking. And he was judging me and coming down hard on me for all the things that I did wrong, and yet he was living a double life. We don't have to go to that extreme because if you think about your own life, you probably are leading a double life too where you portray to be one person but maybe behind closed doors you are a different person. And Jesus says, I, I don't want that anymore. I just want you to be yourself. Don't put on a show for anyone regardless of what they think of you. Don't put on a show for me. I just want you to be authentic when you do live your life. And this is what Jesus goes on to say in verse 5. He says, when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. There's all of these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? This is the message translation, by the way. Just to, this, is, this is like a, a dynamic paraphrase to get the point across. I think sometimes what happens is you live your life like God is watching every step that you do because that's the song that they teach us, right? Be careful your eyes what they see. Be careful your hands what they touch. Be careful your feet where they walk. We are taught that God is always looking down on us with a pencil in his hand and this big book and your name's on the top and he's always, you know, writing down all of the sins you've committed. And so we think, well, if God is seeing all of the sins that I've committed, maybe I should live my life the other way, and maybe I should start doing a lot of really good things so that God can keep track of those things too, right? Do you see the problem with that? What you become is just an entertainer trying to please God. But you're pleasing him in all of the wrong ways because you think that you just have to do good things and then God will love you. But the reality is, is if you love God you will probably very naturally do the things that please God without trying very hard. Does that make sense? If you're putting God first and you're allowing God to shape and transform your life, you're probably going to be doing a lot of good things naturally. The temptation for us as Christians is to do good things just to please God. But we can all do good things, right? We can all give to the poor. We can all pray out loud. We can all stand up here. Any one of us could stand up here and pray and, and pretend like we're these holy people. At family gatherings, um, I'm the only pastor at family gatherings, and I am Mexican. Well, I'm, a, I'm a U.S. citizen, whatever, born here, but I have my, nat my descent is Mexican. And um, whenever we have gatherings for family, 
my dad always comes to me before the food, when the food is served and he says, okay, pray. Because I'm the pastor and that's what I'm supposed to do. The problem and the conversation I have with him every single time is, dad, I cannot pray in Spanish very well, so my, my prayers come out very awkward and weird and I sometimes forget to pray for the food. <laughs> and my dad's like, I don't know how you can't speak Spanish because that's the language that I learned first. And I'm like, I just can't. It's hard. And so what then I am tempted to do is I remember, I remember all of the phrases that the Spanish pastors I've known use, and I even remember the words my dad says. And so the temptation is always to start with, and if you've ever heard a, if you've ever heard a Spanish pastor pray or Spanish people pray, Spanish-speaking people, there's like this big wind-up that they start with. It's like in English we say, um, uh, like it, it, it's like Father God Almighty, all wonderful counselor. Like it's like a big wind up. And I don't know those words. And so I try, I try hard to remember them because I get stage fright when I have to pray in Spanish in front of my family because they saw me grow up and they saw all the awkward stages, all the bad things I've done. So it's, you know, I'm working from a deficit. And so I'm tempted to do that. But every time I am reminded, it's not about the words you're saying when you're praying. It's about the spirit and heart that is within you that God is more worried about. The Bible writers, they go on to say, he says, um, I want to skip this. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. We're not going to get into that, this part later. Now, I mean. He says, don't pray. Don't heap up empty phrases. That's what I'm tempted to do every time I have to pray in Spanish. Every time I come up here, I think to myself, what is the church used to? What are the words they want me to hear, want to hear me say so that this then becomes an actual sanctified prayer, not just a guy talking out loud? Jesus says, do not be like those people, the Gentiles. They, they had other gods, right? Gentiles were our today's world, uh, in, in today's world, like what, we, what Christians sometimes call worldly people. You've heard that phrase before. Uh, I can't stand that phrase, and at some point in the future I'll explain why. But Jesus says, don't pray like them, because they think that if they use certain phrases, if they use certain words, if they, if they say the right amount of words, then God will listen, and then you will convince him, and then God will act in your favor. Have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed, and you asked for the same exact thing ten different ways, hoping that if you say it the right way, well, maybe subconsciously hoping, if you say it the right way, then God will listen? Or you pray for the same thing over and over and over again because a pastor told you you should pray without ceasing? That's not what the Bible means by that, but that's what, that's what it's taught. Here's a, here's a common day example that I've seen. No, I, I can't say it because I haven't worked it out in my mind yet. But here's the deal. Jesus says, if you keep praying and praying and praying, but you're using all of these empty phrases like, oh, Heavenly Father, Father God, or, or all of these things because you think that that's what God wants to hear, you've missed the point about what prayer is supposed to be. If you think there's a formula to prayer, you've missed the point. If you think there's a right way to pray, you've missed the point about prayer. And this is an analogy that we use often in a relationship. Nowadays, in a relationship, how many different ways is there to communicate with, with that other person? There's what? 
What are the different ways to communicate? Talking, text, phone, Facebook, Twitter, I think. No, Twitter, you can't talk back to each other. Emails, right? There's like so many different ways to communicate with that other person. So do you think that there's only one way to communicate to God? If there's this many ways to communicate with a human being, don't you think that God's going to be like, I love it anytime you come and talk to me. Whether you're kneeling down, some people would have you believe, and now this is a little bit of a, a practical stuff, we're closing up soon, but some practical stuff about prayer. Some people believe that the only way a prayer is real is if you're kneeling down. Now if that's true, then all of the other times you're thinking about God, all the other times you're driving in the car and you're kind of praying in your mind, all of the other times when you're laying in bed and right before you go to bed, you're just like, God, I just... I thank you for everything you've done. If kneeling down is the only way to pray, then God's not listening all the other times. Is that true? But the reality is, is that any time you open yourself up to God, God is listening. I would venture to even say that God is listening to you even when you're not even praying or thinking about praying. This is God's world and everything in it which means that you are a part of God's creation. And so even though there is sin in this world, God knows there's sin, and God's not afraid of sin. God's not afraid of the devil. God's not afraid of all of the bad stuff. He knows, I know it's there, but my history is still moving forward, and in the end, I will protect, and I will serve you, and I will save you, and you will come out of whatever you're going through, no matter how hard or how difficult it is, I will bring you through that. I don't care because I am stronger than all of this. Now, this life that we're living in might be a long, roundabout way of getting to eternity with Jesus. But what we fail to realize is that prayer is the moments when we get to stop and open ourselves up to the presence of God. And I would say this, that sometimes the best prayers are when you don't even say a word. For me, the prayers that work the best are when I literally sit there and just sit there and it's like I open myself up to God and I say, God, I just, and that's as far as I get. And then I sit there and I stay there. Now I have a friend or he was a friend. He's an acquaintance. I haven't seen him in many years. He used to tell me when I was in seminary that he would wake up every morning at four in the morning so that he could pray and read his Bible because there's a verse in the Bible where Jesus says that while it was still dark, Jesus would get up and pray. So my friend, this friend of mine, he did that. And I was like, man, that's discipline. I have a hard time waking up for a 10 o'clock class, you know? But he would get up and I said, well, so what do you do the rest of the morning when you're done? He goes, oh, no, I, I go back to sleep until it's time to get up. And I'm like, but do you remember what you're reading? Because if, if I wake up for like an hour and then I go back to sleep, that hour is hazy for me. He goes, no, but that's what the Bible says, that that's what Jesus did, and so that's what I must do. And then he would, a few weeks later, when he couldn't get into school, he wasn't in seminary, he, um, he said he was going to go somewhere where he didn't know anybody because that's where God was leading him. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, Abraham went somewhere where he didn't know anybody, and so now I'm going just like Abraham did. At which point I said, what about the family you left behind? 
He left because God was calling him to do something, but he left the very place, the family that God had called him to be. Does that make sense? It's very easy for you to know the right things about the Bible and to say the right words when you pray, but if they are not leading you to the life that God has called you to live, you need to stop and reassess your life. Prayer is the connection that we have with God. And I'm not going to go back to the other slides, but um, there, there is a place where, no, yes, I am. I have to, actually. And here's, here's where we're going to be closing up in another minute or two. It says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. Then focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. So many times when we come to church, we don't want to pray too short because then it's not a real prayer, but we don't want to pray too long because then it becomes a sermon. And so we have this, it's, we're always worried about what other people are going to think. But for Jesus, he says, hypocrites, stop putting on this show because the moment you get over this, this stuff, then you'll actually be living the way I'm calling you to live. Stop pretending to be someone else and just be yourself. Which leads me back to the place. Some of you are sitting here thinking, I like how that sounds, but if these people knew about this, they would probably distance themselves from me. I would love to be able to be open about all of this stuff that I've done, but if the person sitting to in front of me, they may not like me very much. I'm not asking you to come up here and tell me your sins. I'm not God and I can't forgive. But what I am asking is for you to learn to be authentic and just be yourself and don't judge other people just because they do things differently than you. In this church, there is no room for judging one another. In the body of Christ, Paul says, do not judge because when you judge, you will be judged yourself. When we come to God, you see, this sermon you thought was about prayer, but for Jesus, it's never just about the surface. It's about so much more. This passage is about Jesus saying, stop pretending to be good by the words that you use. Instead, show the people that you truly believe in me by the way you live your life and how you interact with other people and how you treat people. Does that make sense? Prayer masks who we really are because we can use any words we want. But what God is calling us to is sometimes when you pray, just don't say a word. Just sit there in silence because I'm tired of hearing your lies. When you pray, stop pretending. Just sit there in silence because you need to come face to face with who you are. When you finally come to God and say, my name is David, maybe I'm not an alcoholic, but I'm all of these other things. At the moment you can come to terms with who you really are, I believe that it's only then that God can begin to shape and move and transform you. But if you're still faking it, God's like, okay, I'll wait forever. God's like, I've been around forever. Waiting a couple of years is not a big deal. This is a sermon. This is a teaching 
about coming face to face with who you actually are and allowing God into your life to transform and change you into the person that he created you to be from the beginning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, we are... God, we don't like it when the teachings make us change. We don't like it when the scriptures tell us that we've been faking it all along. But God, for some of us, we've been faking it our whole lives, so it just makes sense to keep doing it. But God, I pray this morning that as your spirit kind of washes over us, that you would allow us to leave behind the baggage of all of the stuff we've been carrying around. We want a new start. We want a new beginning, God, where though we've been who we were up to this point, we now are being the person you are calling us to be. And so, God, for my friends here this morning, may whichever one of the parts of the teaching this morning that they're thinking about, that you would continue to kind of push that into their minds even deeper so that they would continue to come face to face with who they've been that you could begin a work of transformation in their lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.